I am Arthur Frayne, and I am Zardoz. I have lived 300 years, and I long to die, but death is no longer possible. I am immortal. I present now my story, full of mystery and intrigue, rich in irony and most satirical. It is set deep in a possible future, so none of these events have yet occurred. But they may. Okay, Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies. Specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and this is episode number 200. And because of that, we had the movie had to be something extra special. So this week, Drew Burris from The More You Nerd is coming on, and we are going to talk about 1974's Zardoz. Uh, neither one of us had ever seen this before. Drew, Ooh. how are you? <laughs> I am... Uh... Apathetic? No, no, no. I'm better than apathetic. I am doing great, man. How are you doing? <laughs> I am. I am doing quite well. So this is uh, this is a hell of a movie. Um, I the opening yes. that you just heard <laughs> was a like two minute long uh, opening that is just a head floating on a black background as he basically tells you what the movie is going to be. With a sharpied on mustache and beard. And yes. I literally, I was watching this movie thinking, oh man, that'd be so fun to do the mustache and beard sharpie. And then I realized, no, not <laughs> not going to work. No. Not going to work. Uh, but, but if you had any question about how pretentious this movie was going to try to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So, all right. What's your history with Zardoz as a movie? Because... I hadn't seen it before and you hadn't either, but I'm curious what your history was with just knowing about it at all. So I became aware of this movie possibly through FilmSack. Did they cover this on FilmSack at some point? They did, yeah. I feel like if it was, it was super early. And and it was that and the Sean Connery costume mm-hmm. and the phrase, which I can't believe I'm going to say this on a public uh, thing because, uh, you know, the penis is evil. Those are literally the only three things I knew about this movie. <laughs> okay. So um, kind of the same for me. Uh, I knew of it before. Like I had, I had heard about this movie many, many years ago and just how bonkers it was. And it was a big flop and all this kind of stuff. But my knowledge of it was, okay, so we've got Sean Connery in uh, a leather mankini and bandoliers with long hair. And uh, then from the film sack episode where they did that, uh, the the quote, the penis is evil. Uh, that's basically, yeah, same thing. That was my knowledge of it. Um, it's um, came out in 1974, written and directed by John Borman. And if that name doesn't sound familiar, he had um, previously to this done Deliverance. And it was a huge hit. Super, super successful Deliverance. Yeah. So on the heels of that, he wanted to make the Lord of the Rings trilogy live action. So he started working on that, but nobody wanted to put the money up for it because it was just going to be too expensive. So he's like, okay, fine. And he started writing this and he shopped it around and nobody wanted to make it. Nobody got it. None of the studios got it. I'm not not sure he got it. Well, (laughs) 
So he even Warner Brothers, who he had made Deliverance for, he's like, I made them a bunch of money. They still didn't want to do it. His agent, I believe, knew an executive at 20th Century Fox and basically told that guy, hey, I've got a script I want you to read. I'm going to uh, we're gonna have you read it, but I need to know yes or no within two hours. And the guy's like, I don't understand what it is, but sure, let's do it. So... John Borman got to make his movie. Now, a few years later, he tried again to make Lord of the Rings, and still nobody wanted to do it. So then he pivoted and made Excalibur. Which is, is that the Sean Connery Knights of the Round Table movie? It is a Knights, it's Arthur uh, Knights of the Round Table, but Sean Connery's not in it. That one has um, uh, Nigel Bruce as Arthur, and Helen Mirren's in it. Um it's a really it's it's a great Arthurian film in my opinion, but uh, it's it's a little out there. It's very it you can tell when you now that you've seen this movie, if you watch Excalibur, you'll be like, oh yeah, no, it's the same same guy making it. Like, <laughs> there's some parallels there. Um, but yeah, so so he makes this movie. Now here's the the thing that I found, and this was kind of one of those where I read it and I was like, no, really. Director Sir John Borman would later admit that he was under heavy drug influence while writing the film and during production. He also no. claims he also claims that he not even he is sure what parts of the film are about mainly due to the haze of drugs he was on at the time and feels I several scenes I refuse to believe that. Exactly. I was like no. <laughs> no. Really? If anything, I feel as though not watching this movie while high on drugs probably does it a disservice. Like I Potentially, I feel like I would have, uh, uh, you know, I would have maybe enjoyed it slightly differently in a different uh, uh, mental construct. Yeah, um, I mean, look, I have never taken psycho-altering drugs. Um, no, no recreational psych, uh, you know, psycho-altering drugs or anything like that. I have to feel as though watching them might make some of this movie make a little tiny bit of sense. There is apparently a novelization of this movie written by John Borman and the the person who co-wrote the script with him that fills in some of the gaps in this movie. And I only say that to say that, man, maybe I should read that before saying I'm never going to read that. (laughs) But here, you know, so here was the thing when I'm watching this movie, that was actually my thought was, you know, this I don't think. Okay, so the movie did horribly at the box office because number one executives didn't know what to do with it so they weren't really sure how to market it the marketing makes no sense whatsoever because the movie makes no sense and audiences people were coming out of the theater basically telling people in line don't go see that movie so (laughs) it had something like a million or million and a half dollar budget and i think it made half of that in theaters like it just bombed hardcore um yeah that 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 tracks and i get it i actually i i fully understand why like this is a movie that a not a lot of people are going to enjoy when they see it and then b could garner a huge cult following like it it's I both mean, it of def- those it, things <laughs> it definitely has cult following vibes before well but the costumes alone are cult following vibes the 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 concept behind it with I mean, when you open it with a giant floating stone head <laughs> yes. screaming into the into the universe, that you're going to get a cult following out of that. Um, 
but I also I also wonder if that is people that were because this came out in 1974. Mm-hmm. Are, did the cult following erupt because it was a good movie, because it was a good movie to watch high, or because some people, some people out there really, really resonated with it? Um, I f- and, and I'm going to go with the third option there. And I think it's because it's just weird enough that there's going to be some people that will latch onto that because they just like weird esoteric art. Like, as I was watching this, one of the things I thought was this feel this felt like a live action Richard Williams piece. I don't think I'm familiar with that. With that, uh, did you? Well, okay. So Richard Williams did the animation for um, Roger Rabbit, and he also did the Thief and the Cobbler, um, which not, was in development hell forever. But he and he did uh, the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie from the 1970s is another one that he did. Very like. If you think Ralph Bakshi has some weird animation going on, Richard Williams can take that to a different level. Um, <laughs> and so, like, parts of this felt like that. Like, it was just this LSD trip uh, of things going on. And and then I was thinking about it, and it's, it's odd to have a movie. Now, this movie's an hour and 45 minutes long, which when I saw that running time, I'm like, oh, that ain't bad at all. But it feels until, <laughs> so much longer than that. Until you get to what you think is the is the like climax, and there's still an hour left in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's like it's simultaneously way too long, and not long enough to cover everything they tried to pack into it either. Yes. Uh, so I- I'm going to say a defense of Zardoz right now. I think that the idea and the concept, at least that I understand it to be watching this movie, not bad, actually interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that there are some very, very interesting things about people with immortality, about a world that's controlled by a person with immortality and things like that, I think are very, very interesting. Um, Stylistically, this is very 1970s, which... You know, what are you going to do with that? Um, Of course, the execution of this is... I I don't honestly think Sean Connery knew what was going on throughout any of this movie. Mm -mm, No. Um, So this was coming off of the Diamonds Are Forever James Bond movie. Um, I think Which was was his last, correct? That was his last official one, yeah. Uh, So that was 1971. And he apparently, according to what I read, was having trouble finding work. And so John Borman, John Borman originally had cast uh, Burt Reynolds in that role. Burt Reynolds was going to play the, the role of Zed because they'd worked together on Deliverance. <laughs> yeah, who had just started in Deliverance. And, uh, you know, they had a good working relationship. Reynolds was a big star. But then Reynolds uh, had to back out uh, illness of some kind. I think he was just probably like overworked or didn't want to probably. do it, whatever it was. So he didn't do that. <laughs> I uh, don't want to yeah. do this. Don't want to do this uh, movie. Uh, brown bottle flu. Um, so uh, why was the first impression I did on this episode Burt Reynolds and not Sean Connery? <laughs> because it's this is not like Sean Connery as Sean Connery. Like we're so used to seeing him playing either James Bond or characters that have. Sean Connery has such a presence on screen. And in this movie, he's just kind of there. Like the character doesn't have much to do other than stand around and occasionally run from one spot to another. I'm um, going to walk stage right. Yeah. But he's just, it's not, 
it doesn't feel like Sean Connery at any point in the movie, really. Uh, not not in the way that you would think of. So I can kind of see where Burt Reynolds would be the first the first one. But it's like honestly, is is Burt Reynolds not taking this role the reason why Sean Connery has a mustache in this movie? I think so. Honestly, I would back that up um, because it makes perfect sense. Although Burt Reynolds didn't have a mustache when he worked with Borman before. So hmm. it's a tricky one. It's, tr- it's hard to say. Um, but this movie it was, so this, it was the, ni- the mid 70s. Yeah. <laughs> but because Connery was apparently supposedly having trouble finding jobs, Borman was able to cast him and they paid him like $200,000 to do the movie, which. Not a ton I mean, adjusted, for, I mean, adjusted for inflation, it's quite a bit, and it was like a fifth of the budget or something. Um, but also, for an actor, the stature of Sean Connery, even at that time, probably was a little low. Um, but I guess he wanted to work with Borman because he lived at the, the Borman estate. They shot a lot of this in Ireland, and while they were shooting it, he apparently stayed at their estate and uh, would like use his own car to get around and do, you know, stuff that normally like stars wouldn't do. Um, Interesting. And like paying, I supposedly he paid Borman's wife some, some rent for like keeping him, you know, putting him up and, and food and stuff. Uh, this is according to, I think Charlie Borman, uh, John Borman's son talked about that. But um, I read that in a couple of different places that he stayed there while they were filming. Did, did I see that, that, that John Borman's wife also did the costumes for this movie? Uh, yes, I did see that. And uh, boy, those costumes are something else. Um, and now, uh, here's what I will say about the costumes. I liked the... I'm with you. All right, so I, I'm going to back up a little bit. I am with you in that I think from a 1,000-foot, 10,000-foot level, the idea of this movie, really intriguing. There's there's some some really cool kind of like kernels of, of story here. It was just... it. Uh, a feature film is not the way to tell this the entirety of this story in one I, feature I agree film. With that. What this this movie reminded me of <clears throat> two things specifically, and that one is nineteen sixty four, sixty six. I can't remember when this came out. the The Prisoner, the British TV series, The Prisoner. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? Um, a little uh, bit of it, yeah. So, so basically, uh, it's 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 the idea that there is this guy who was a spy. And he retires from being a spy and then all of a sudden wakes up and finds himself on this island. He no longer has a name. He is now number six and he is menaced by someone named number two. And if he tries to get away from this island, these roving ball like bubbles will capture him and take him back. Hmm. Uh, And so every episode of that show is about him trying to figure out how to get off the island. And number two changes every episode. We never meet number one. Um, The show, it's really interesting. Uh, we covered it for the more you nerd a couple of years ago, and it's it's a really fascinating show. But just this idea of someone in a place they don't understand, sort of out of out of sorts with everybody else that's been there for longer and is sort of more acclimated to that environment. Mm-hmm. So I see Zed, uh, which Sean Connery's character being named Zed, that's very British. I'm just going to call him Z. Uh, is a uh, just just the that idea that that sort of you know, he doesn't know what's going on, but he's going to kind of roll with the punches if he can. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
obviously a little it's a little different because everyone is in a position of authority in the Zardoz world while he's right. the only one that's not um but uh, the other one weirdly is the good place NBC's the good place because I don't know whether or not that that show was influenced by Zardoz but it's a very similar context that's an interesting uh, did, one did, yeah did, did you watch that show at all I, I saw some of it yeah I didn't watch a ton but so I'm I'm gonna spoil later seasons of the Good Place. So it's a it's a show that's been off the air for years. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, when we actually go to the Good Place, uh, everybody is super bored and apathetic because they've been living for millions and millions of years. Yeah, at the end of time, uh, and and that and and that the, once you've done everything you could possibly do in an infinite number of human lifetimes, there's really not much more to be interested in. Sure. And again, I don't know that that was in, that Zardoz influenced that, but that's a co- uh, concept that I had uh, I've only seen twice, and it's weird that <laughs> one of them was Zardoz. <laughs> well, it, it it's interesting because this movie has like so much that it's trying to trying to do that it doesn't really accomplish any of those things. Like there's sort of a, there's a mystery involved at one point because we start off, we get an opening scene. So that opening with the floating head um, of Arthur Frayne, as he tries to, uh, to tell you what's going to happen in the movie that was done um, at the behest of the studio. They were like, Hey, uh, can, can, can you put something at the beginning of the movie? It's going to help people figure out what the hell is going on. And, doesn't really at all like it tells you everything that's going to happen sort of without telling you anything that's going to happen um but this is all definitely going to happen but also maybe not yeah exactly um and then we open with that giant stone head coming down to a this like desolate field where we have just random bunch of guys in uh in the red mankinis and they're running around yelling, you know, praise be to Zardoz. And the face, the, the giant stone head then has a very booming voice and tells them that guns are good and the penis is evil and procreation is is the is evil and you need to kill the brutals. And then it vomits out a whole bunch of shotguns and rifles and ammunition and they they all go crazy for it, pick it all up, and then we cut to a new scene. So... Uh, 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 apparently, by the way, that scene was super complicated to film because uh, this was all filmed in Ireland and mm-hmm. uh, there was a huge problem with importing guns into yes. Ireland because of the IRA in the 1970s. Yes. <laughs> yep, they were they were having trouble getting the prop weapons in. And uh, yeah, I can see that. But then it cuts to, um, we just see from the inside of the giant stone head and there is a bunch of grain and then... Sean Connery comes out from the grain confused and doesn't know what's going on. And those scenes inside of there were weird. And also I want to know exactly how they pulled that off because there's a bunch of people inside the giant stone head, like shrink wrapped. Some Some of of them were more shrink shrink wrapped than others. Yes. And some of them you could Uh, see like just barely moving as they're breathing, like where, it, the shot would be like from their neck down, so you can tell like their face obviously isn't covered. But then other of them, it's like, did they just have to hold their breath for the entirety yeah, of that some scene? Of, some of them were just moving around the entire time. <laughs> Stay still. Uh, the, the most, 
Uh, these are all naked people, by the way. Or yes. At least, uh, so that's a whole, whole lot of naked people in this movie. A whole lot of naked people in this movie. It was the mid-70s. This mm-hmm. is what they were going for. But uh, what the one that was kind of most interesting, some of them were bloody, which didn't. I, they never went back to. I no. never... You know, yeah. Now that you think about it, why were they in plastic bags? And reflecting on this, I have not thought about that scene since watching the movie. <laughs> well, because a lot happened. What after was that. going on there? I don't know. And and, um, and 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 some of them, like like the the one lady that had her hair like vacuum sealed up into the into the bag, yeah. which was kind of interesting. But she was definitely also looked like she was having the hardest time breathing. Yes. Well, I could imagine so. But it's it's just it's this weird scene, and then he. The stone head lands somewhere, so he gets out and he's wandering around, and that's then from like partway through the movie, this whole mystery idea of like how he got there and what he's doing there just gets evaporated, and it's like no, he was he was drawn there, he was drawn there by someone, um, and they there he meets this the is Eternals. definitely the part of the movie that. That that the he was drawn there. Part of the movie is definitely something that did not land for me, and no. one of the biggest problems that I have with the movie when I read what it was supposed to mean and it makes sense, but again, that execution factor did not work. <laughs> no, no. After he meets the Eternals and they they have there's a whole big thing where they're trying to figure out what he what exactly he is. There's one of them that wants to run experiments on him, but another one that doesn't want anything to do with him. And so they, the, the Eternals decide everything by a vote, just a straight democratic vote. Um, and psychic democratic vote. Yes. They are also ageless and immortal. And if they die, they just get basically reconstituted. Regrown. uh, Because that's uh... what happens. Um, and we find out that Zed is an ex, uh, an exterminator for Zardoz in his, in the outlands. That was his job. He was, his job was just to run around and kill people. Yeah. Because they're overrunning the planet. We need this planet to be a planet. They don't really explain why. Nope. No explanations at all. <laughs> none, um, none whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we do. At this point, we are introduced to sort of three of our eternal characters that we actually learn their names to. Yep. Uh, Cons- Consuela, I'm going to say the name as they do, Consuela, yes. <laughs> uh, played by Charlotte Rampling, who is sort of, she seems to be the de facto leader of all of these people. Um, kind of, yeah. I, I get that feeling. But yet everything's still decided by a vote and she can get outvoted really easily. So, Yeah. Uh, and then uh, her assistant partner, May, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, played by Sarah Kestelman. And uh, then we have John Alderton as Friend. Yes. And I had to go back and turn on subtitles to make sure his name was Friend, because that just <laughs> seemed a little too on the nose. Yeah, it was a little little weird. <laughs> so now, Charlotte Rampling um, was just in a movie recently, uh, Dune, actually. She was the Reverend Mother in Dune. So she's in that one scene. Yeah. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, Oh, I see it now. But yeah, I had no yeah. clue when I'm watching this. Cause it's, you know, 40 something years ago, but, um, she was the, in the that. 1970s are a gap in my movie history. I seem to know movies that came before it and movies that came 80 and later, but the seventies are kind of outside of star Wars, obviously, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm slowly getting better with some of the stuff in the seventies. Like I know, I know a few of them, the star Wars jaws, 
but like French Connection is another one. There, 70s, the 1970s were an interesting time for movies because up until kind of the mid 60s, everything was very studio system, studio driven. Um, in the 60s, everything, everything looked like a, everything looked, every set looked like an actual set on a stage that yes. you could see the tops of and things like that. Yep. Um, and, and the 70s definitely tried to go towards a more gritty, realistic look. For yeah, better so or worse. everything is uh, shot on location almost. And and the way that the visuals are, the sound, um, this was the, I like to call this the, the era of cacophony where you'd have these scenes, like Jaws did this. I remember it in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Maybe it's just a Spielberg thing, I don't know. No, because I remember it in uh, French Connection too, I'm pretty sure. But you would have like the sound mix in scenes was such that you would have dialogue and you could barely hear the dialogue because there'd be all sorts of people in the background talking and all the sound, just the way everything is mixed. You can kind of pinpoint just by hearing it usually. And this also had a visual thing going on. The cinematographer whose name escapes me at the moment. I'll find it here in a second. Um, Uh, Jeffrey Unsworth. Yeah. He, he shot the movie with the lens wide open and then would use fog filters, and they had a bunch of fog on that. And it gave it this really strange kind of diffused, almost dreamlike look. But the problem with it was when they went to copy the film for distribution, it looked like crap. And so <laughs> they stopped doing that after this, uh, shortly after this movie. They, they just uh, didn't uh, do things like that anymore. But uh, Jeffrey Unsworth, by the way, uh, Oscar winner for cinematography for Cabaret and uh, uh, and Tess, mm-hmm. uh, which he died during the production of. So, uh... and it, I think that it works in this movie to have that weird kind of foggy, diffused look on everything. It does very much for me dated as like a seventies movie because it it's the same yes. sort of look as like Monty Python and the Holy Grail had that same mm-hmm. look to it. Um, some of that's shooting in Ireland and shooting in where they were, but also I think it fits this movie because it's sort of a, it's a possible future. It's maybe going to happen, but maybe not. So the look of it's a little odd. Um, I don't, the colors aren't super saturated, but they're not, it's not like drab either. I don't know. There are, there are colors in here, but I wouldn't necessarily call them bright. Like Mm -hmm. you've got the super bright red mankini, Right. But it is not. But it's it's still a little muted when you look at it. If you were to shoot this today, that thing would be reflecting light off oh, yeah. of the, you know, into the camera. And um, even all and the Eternals, we're lucky that it's the, not. Yeah, the Eternals costumes were very like there were a lot of pastel colors and a lot of colors, but not like super saturated colors necessarily. Yeah. I also really liked how the Eternals costumes were kind of androgynous. There wasn't, for the most part. Like you could see uh, men or women wearing basically the same thing. Yeah, it was really interesting. The kind of long shorts that is that a is that a is that a skirt? Is that a is that a uh, you know a pair of shorts? You know what have you? Yeah. Um, I will say the one thing about the Eternals costumes that, and maybe this is me. I don't know, but uh, at a, after a certain point in the movie where it makes it clear what is going on with the Eternals. I noticed that every single one of them was wearing a leather belt that came to here and then had a big long dip right in the center. I noticed that too. (laughs) Just, you know, it looked kind uh, of like it was supposed to be sort of a cod piece, but then not. Yeah. Um, It was odd. 
But like, even I, like I, I want, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna regret saying this out loud. Flaccid codpiece is yeah. <laughs> not a, a thing I ever thought I would say out loud, and, and especially not in a public space. But here we are. It wasn't. Uh, it w- I didn't have that on my bingo card today. <laughs> I did not have flaccid codpiece on my well, bingo card. So uh, hey, you, you know, 2023 episode 200. Let's right. Take it to the next. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, this this followed the uh, the Star Wars rule of nobody wears underwear in the future. So like yes. none of uh, which not a not a not a, sh- a stitch of underwear on anyone. Um, Speaking of Star Wars, there were multiple women in this movie that had the bun, yeah, side bun hairstyle. I wonder uh, a couple of years before Zarda or a couple of years before Zard, a couple of years before Star Wars existed. Yeah, uh, that that hairstyle was there. Um, I've never seen THX eleven thirty eight. I imagine it to be similar in. Uh, not necessarily concept or style, but execution. I imagine them to be kind of similar, like reflections of today's society, but in a super advanced way. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if George Lucas watched this movie a few times. I I gotta think in the mid seventies he had to have. I mean, as as much of a film uh, studier as he was, he definitely would have studied John Borman and known who that was. So there had to have been there. There's some influence there for sure. Um, but yeah, I loved like the, you know, you, and look, as we mentioned, a lot of nudity in this, a lot of like it, because to the, for the Eternals, there wasn't, uh, emotion the way that we have emotion, right? They had lived for so long that they didn't have, or they were supposedly didn't have emotions and, and romantic connections and sexual urges and all this kind of stuff. So you know, they're just sort of like whatever, whatever happens, happens. So you'd you'd have people getting naked all over the place, and not on purpose. It was just the way that they would move, and the way their clothing would move would be that. So I found that interesting because um, again, that's that it's idea. A very, of like, it's a it's a very late sixties, mid seventies yeah. idea of of that. But also, it's it's an interesting idea of like immortality and how it would change you over time, and how like they had these different groups. So there was the Eternals and they had some kind of psychic ability too, which was never explained or defined. Some of them had it, some of them, or at least some of them demonstrated it. Yeah. I think they all have it because that's how they vote and do all this stuff. And also I I was reading this. I didn't clock this in the movie when it happened. They don't sleep. They -hmm. just meditate with blankets over their heads. Yeah. Um, which I, I didn't clock that that was what was going on, but uh, mm. yeah, there's a, there's but, a scene but, that does mention that that like sleep became irrelevant and was replaced by level two meditation. Whatever level, why why level two? I don't. What's level one meditation? They don't really look. I'm stuck again, at point five. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but but then there are there are splinters of the Eternals that we meet because there's the Renegades who are so the punishment for eternals because eternals don't age they are immortal I, by and the way ageless i love this concept by the way this, this is this, one of the things i'm like i love this idea exactly again yes exactly like this is one of those just wow this is a cool idea i want to see it in a, a better executed thing yes because they don't age punishment for doing something wrong is to be aged you still don't die but you get older so a minor infraction might give you three months of aging or six months of aging or something more, uh, we, more we could see give something, you five years. 
we yeah we see one person uh admit to their crime and they get five years of aging but they look mm -hmm. like a pretty young person so it's really not going to matter that much to them no um, no I say, but they... I, say, I, say, I say as someone who's approaching 40 and my back hurts all the time <laughs> yeah uh, i'm on the wrong side of 40 and it doesn't get better so um but <laughs> it, it's it's one of those like the thing about it is it's supposed to be the punishment but then it doesn't really change you at all except that well as you get older it, it doesn't change you until a certain point yes and that and that's and that's where i find it absolutely fascinating that the renegades and i they're we learn later why these particular group are the renegades and why they're all super old mm -hmm. but you basically have the renegades that are all you know I'm going to say plus 80. This was the 70s, so you might you might adjust that number down a little bit. But these are all the old and gray, senile people. And yes, they're still alive, but they're being punished because they're losing their mental faculties and yep. they don't know what don't necessarily know what's going on and and all of this. And and that idea really works. The execution isn't being kind of a weird 40s nightclub with a bunch of old people in it doesn't necessarily work for me, but I no. can get it, I guess. <laughs> no, that was a little strange, but like, again, that idea because, uh, so there is a role playing game called Vampire the Masquerade. And in that, vampires are effectively immortal, but they do age. It just takes a lot longer. And what can end up happening with some of the really, really old vampires is they age to a point where their body starts to break down regardless because it just the the physical body can only handle it for so long and it's that idea of immortality but you're stuck like that is interesting to me so this this thought or this theory of like all right we're going to age you up and eventually you're going to get into your you know you're going to age up into your 80s and everything's not going to work and you're going to be stuck bedridden but you're alive and and so all these renegades are here and they're they're losing it they're losing their mental faculties Physically, they can't really do anything anymore half the time. Honestly, the ones that are losing it are the lucky ones because they don't necessarily know what's going on. It's yeah. the, the guy the guy in the bed who I believe is only credited as old scientist. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that's just that, that's just like in bed, like hooked up to... Well, is he hooked up to machines? I can't remember. But he's just like completely bedridden, conscious of what's going on. But yeah. like imagine that for an eternity. That is really terrifying and yeah really horrible punishment uh-huh and they just they're longing for death like these renegades want death as uh as a release from what they're going through and then on the flip side of it you've got and they're never explained exactly how this happens it's just some kind of a disease they call it the apathetics which are young people they don't they don't commit any crimes well, they just young looking eternally old people yeah they've been around for however long but they just don't care about it they just stand around and i guess maybe eat occasionally cuz there is the scene where friend friend who has zed basically working like a slave for him has him uh, running a rickshaw through the town as he just chucks bread at people <laughs> They're throwing green baguettes at people. <laughs> this is green bread. They're just this twisty twist. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like braided challah, but green. And they're just he's just throwing it at them as he goes down the street. But they're ap the apathetics literally do nothing. Like the scene where he's explaining it to Sean Connery is a, is both a weird and definitely a scene you wouldn't do today 
in the same form oh, the, the, at the all. The stuff that happens in that scene is uncomfortable for at least two reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, many, many more, honestly, um, because especially what that reaction has in the apathetics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how far to go with that because it's just so it's so brawl. It uh, yeah, it gets a little uh, consent is is real and important let's put it that way uh, and the yeah, apathetics uh, cannot that... give consent so but the but the part of it that stuck with me more than that because i tried not to pay too much attention to that part was as friend is explaining things and he's walking away and there's a bunch of the apathetic standing there and he's just like picking one's arm up and they their arm just kind of stays in the air and then it slowly comes back down as they just kind of stand there or he like he turns somebody because they just they just don't do anything. And again, it's an interesting idea or concept of like, is this an actual disease? Is there some sort of a virus that's causing this in people? Or is there is it like a mental break that they're having? Like what's causing this apathy it's, in them? And that would be something interesting to explore in a you know, a novel or a longer form. Um, I also thought comic uh, a comic series would be interesting for this because the visuals part of it Mm. as well um but something where you can really you can really dive into a lot of these side things that they they threw in there that make for interesting world building without the time to tell us anything about it they're just like yeah the apathetics and then they show up they they they're important later for reasons um kind of (laughs) but they just all have this blank stare on their face until until one of them gets a little taste of uh, connery sweat later and then uh Oh, that's, that's <laughs> I, the the apathetics are the part that that again, nineteen seventies. I'm gonna say it because this this is just this part of the movie. Quite frankly, sucks. I hate this. It's wrong and it's bad. After what Connery's character does to one of the apathetics earlier in the movie, they return to the apathetic village village they're all start part of the same vortex which is a whole other thing uh all of a sudden that has taught them not to be apathetic anymore i guess Uh, it's really hard to say i'm Uh, not entirely sure they start getting they start licking sweat and then kissing each other and it's 70s yeah uh, is Uh, all i can think about that it's just and it's an interesting scene there because he ends up in that village because he's just on the run. He's running, he's hiding, and there's a bunch of apathetics there. And one of them, uh, who happened to be the the woman that he grabbed earlier, um, she like gets a little bit of sweat and kind of puts it on her lips and then it, it wakes something up in her and she turns and kisses one person and then kisses someone else and it's just it just spreads and suddenly the apathetics are no longer apathetic and they want stuff now. Um, but again, for reasons like that's, that's all we get. I mean, again, it's, it's all tied to this sort of sexual repression that all Eternals face and that Zed, Sean Connery's hairy, sweaty body just awakens things in people. I mean, look, it's Sean Connery, right? So I guess that works for you. On the on the plus side, he can pull off the leather mankini because he's not going to get as cold. He's got all that extra fuzz on him. At the bottom, he's got the the, the fur. Yeah, he's, got, he's a hairy man. He really is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
what is it at like the hour mark is when we we learn we have the whole sort of reveal of what he was actually doing and why he's yes, in there which which this to me on paper i love I love on paper what this character is and what this character has been doing in this movie. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> All right. So break it down for me. Explain to me what it is you like about this on paper. So what I like about this on paper and, and part of this is colored by, by stuff from the novelization that I, that I picked up in, in, in researching for this. So Zed as a character, we learn he is, as we previously mentioned, he is one of the executioner brutals. He is a brutal, just like all the other brutals in the real, in the real world outside Mm -hmm. of the vortex and all the other, you know, uh, special phrases. But the, the executioners are the only ones that were allowed to breed. Yes. And the idea is that Zardoz and and Arthur Frayne, who will start coming more into play after this, has been and by the way, this part is not in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this part is based on inference and stuff from the novelization. Arthur Frayne has been using these executioner brutals to breed basically superhumans, mm-hmm. supermen, uh, perfect individuals. Uh, that that will then that he then wants to introduce the perfect version of back into eternal society to wreak havoc and basically end immortality. Yep. Um, again, all that as you hear about it sounds kind of cool. And they they but the- very briefly touch on it in the movie. Like it's mentioned at one point in dialogue, but it's, it's literally, if you're not, you're so confused by the time of this in the movie, that dialogue is just flying past you and you're not going to catch it. So they mentioned like Frayne was doing his experiments and he was basically doing all this stuff kind of off the reservation, uh, or, or not, I don't like that phrase. I'm sorry. Um, on his own, you know, unsanctioned. Well, and, and, and they and they say that he was doing his experiments, but at the time they've also introduced the idea that the executioners are no longer killing people; they're now capturing them to farm grain. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, is it far? Is the is the the experiment to farm grain? There's just a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> that storytelling wise, just stuff doesn't quite match. And the way that it's explained in this movie is that you have the character May, one of the one of the 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 Eternals who is trying to interrogate Zed again, but she's doing it under a blanket with him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's some context for that <laughs> because may has seemed to be a little obsessed with Zed since he arrived a little, little bit. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, like she realizes that, Oh, he's, he's got more intellectual capacity than any of us or whatever she says in that moment. I should have, I should have made a note of what exactly she says, but Mm -hmm. she basically kind of lays down that he is smarter than all the Eternals. But, and then they start using the, the computer. There's an AI, there's a, an uh, Alexa in this. There's a, there's a Siri uh, called Tabernacle um, (laughs) that, that all sorts of, sorts of gets involved here that then they download all of their collective information into his brain. And 
Then yeah, it goes to a, at one point they devise the plan of like, okay, we're going to move forward with this plan of disrupting our society by giving you all of our knowledge so that you can basically break everything we have. Like that's May yes. and May and Friend come up with this plan. This is after Friend, by the way, gets sent to the Renegades uh, in a very another very weird scene where they all kind of it's a scene that goes on for far too long where there's where they're around the table. Yeah. And they all stand up and are doing the psychic like juju at him and he's just sitting there taking it all uh before finally uh getting uh he gets sentenced to aging and he becomes a renegade. But only half of him ages. Well, he becomes he's like half renegade. Yeah. He's he's half normal, half renegade. Exactly. Uh but but <laughs> so friend and may come up with this idea so then uh yeah, then Zed gets uh, gets fed all the knowledge so that he can figure out how to destroy the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle, which, by the way, if you like the word tabernacle, you hear it a lot in the movie. So Yeah, at least yeah. past the 56-minute mark. Yes. <laughs> uh, but destroying that will remove the source of immortality, uh, which is what Friend is going for. May... May's idea was more to use Zed to breed into the Eternals because she views him as this superior thing, but she's kind of outvoted because Zed's sort of like, that's a dumb idea. I like this idea better Um, because his whole thing, and this is another one of those reveals that it didn't quite land. And you sort of, you can be very confused at this point. He is in the vortex because he was bred as an exterminator. And then suddenly was told by his God Zardoz to stop exterminating and start rounding them all up and having them farm grain. And that didn't make any was, sense to him and his his uh, brutal friends, his exterminators. So they devised a plan that the next time the giant stone head came along, he would hide in the pile of grain and stow away. But during that, he forgot what he was doing. Like, it, it somehow wiped his memory, which... I guess there's no nothing's no no so reason is given there, for that. There is some implication because Arthur Frayne is on the Zardoz head when that happens, yep. and Zed shoots Arthur Frayne. That Arthur Frayne had something to do with that memory loss or that confusion. Okay. Um, again, this is stuff that I'm reading <laughs> after the fact because the way that it's depicted in the movie, especially at the start of it is that um, Zed doesn't know why he's there. Like he just sort of wakes up in there and Arthur Frayne in that moment at the beginning of the movie seems very confused that he's there. But then towards the end of the movie, it's like, no, no, no. I set all that up. I meant for you to be there because we find out that Zardoz in one of the, I want to call it a, it's, it's a fairly clever reveal of where the name Zardoz came from, but at the same time, also really, really stupid. Yeah, was yeah. Zardoz, uh, there, well, there's, a, there's a moment. Oh, go ahead. Well, you have something. Yeah, I was going to say, so so after Zardoz, the godhead, has told the executioners to start capturing people to farm, Zed leads a group of people into what looks like a, a, a dis- half-destroyed city, and finds himself 
<laughs> like, I believe he literally says, and then I saw a face, and then behind him, there is a hooded face in yeah. a window <laughs> going like, <"Aah."> Yep. <laughs> um, and so he runs into this building that we learn is a library, and all of a sudden, the hooded face starts teaching him how to read, and then he reads every book and becomes super smart. Good old Zed is a super smart guy now that yeah, he's he read is. every book. Mm-hmm. And then he picks, and, and then he finally reads the one book, the book that explains everything. <laughs> but at first, he doesn't want to say what it is. He's like repressing the memory, um, and so it takes them a long time to get around to it. But eventually, that book is the Wizard of Oz. Jar, Darge. <laughs> and that's our big reveal. Is that's where Zardoz came from? Bump. Bum, Which I mean, it does. It it makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. it does make sense because you have Arthur Frayne as the man behind the curtain, the person that's controlling yep. everything. That you know, putting on one face as Zardoz when he's got a mustache painted on his face the rest of the time. <laughs> and he even mentions, you know, he's a magician by trade. Um, so he's he's every time they just show him and depict him later on in the movie, he's doing, you know, he's wearing the top hat doing like sleight of hand style magic, um, which I thought was clever. Like I, I didn't, I didn't hate that. It was silly and it was, but it was, silly. You know, it was mean, dumb in all the best ways. There's a lot of stuff in this, in this movie that is silly. <laughs> but, but so that, that reveal happens. And then it's like, so Sean Connery, so Zed came here, for revenge. Basically he was upset at Zardoz for making him stop killing people and start making them farm. And so the idea was that he would stow away and find a way for the executioners to get into the vortex. And And, and this, this is the part of the movie that, that because this is like, there's still an hour left of the movie as we have this part. And this is the part that, that bothers me so much because if this was going to be a huge reveal that he's been playing a game the whole time and trying and tricking these Eternals and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. I need to actually understand that that's what's been going on. Right. <laughs> but that did not land at all. No, it really doesn't. It just feels like they tried to shift things halfway through the movie and go from it being some sort of a weird mystery of how he got there to, oh, no, this was the plan the whole time, and now... You know, we're going to we're going to start doing this. And it goes from like a whodunit to like the great escape. And now they've got their plan that they've got to do. But uh, Consuela and there is there are several times what seem to be time jumps that happen here. Yeah, yeah, there were quite a few of those. Uh, Time is very weird because time and I, I sort of understand it from the aspect of the Eternals where like time doesn't really mean anything to them anymore. Yeah, and time exactly. is different inside the vortex, but it's not portrayed well, and it's not—we're not given the the contextual clues we need to really fully understand how I mean, long. The, the, the only real reason I can tell is because Sean Connery gets more and more of a shirt. Yes, as the time goes on, still keeps the mankini going. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but rocking his, that. His upper body covered. Um. <laughs> And then, uh, oh man, there's uh, there's all sorts of stuff with like uh, Consuela at one point wants nothing more than to like she she didn't want him there at all in the first place. I also I also hate this scene. 
<laughs> is this the one where he's inside the little plastic bubble? Uh, no, that one was okay. It was the scene that I'm talking about is when we, when she finally confronts him after she is literally like she has her people literally hunting him down, and she finally corners him, and he says something. Oh, and yeah. she literally falls to her knees, in love with. Him. Yes. Just, oh. Come like, on. Like there are forced romances in films, and then there's what they did in Zardoz, which makes zero sense whatsoever. Uh, uh, supposedly, according to the novelization, the idea is that she has been attracted to Zar to Zed, excuse me, not to Zardoz, to Zed since the moment he came into the picture. Mm-hmm. But because it has been so long that she had felt that kind of attraction to another person, she had no idea what those feelings were. Mm-hmm. And she became uncomfortable and and turned that into to hatred and so, stuff that would work in a better crafted movie, mm-hmm. uh, but is not present in this one. No, it like the closest we get is the scene where she's giving the anatomy lesson, and then they try to to use imagery to uh, make Zed, uh, we'll just say, it, make Zed erect. And it finally ends with him staring at her. And like, that's as close as we get to any sort of thing between the two of them. So it's just, it just didn't play well. Like it didn't, they didn't get that across at all that she was repressing any sort of feelings for him. Because even in that scene, she looks disgusted at the mere thought of it. Um, but then that's the energy she carries all the way through until she drops to her knees in love with him in that scene. And it's like, whoa, that, that was a that was, sudden. That was fast. And, uh, that was very sudden, but it, I like, guess we got to wrap this movie up. then. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, Oh, runtime. We're, we're almost done here. I mean, if anyone, it should have been the way that the movie went, it should have been may that would have made more well, sense. The, the, uh, Zed and may had their own thing going on as well as all of may's uh, compatriots that she wanted to. Oh, uh, yeah. When have, they did their uh, touch teaching. Uh, well, they they do have a, t- a time jump forward that implies that they did complete May's plan of oh. um, continuing on to the next generation, I'll say. Gotcha. <sighs> Interesting. Um, but then, like, then we get to the real, like, even uh, as weird as the movie has been to this point, the real weirdness comes when um, the girl who she had the Leia buns and... Uh, the blonde girl who would just randomly break into singing and kind of got everyone's attention, which yeah, I, I didn't. It's important to note that after two hours, I only learned four characters' names. Yeah. This oh, I don't remember her name at all. Um, I just remember her as being the one that would like stand up from the table, put her arms out and sing a note. And then everyone would pay attention to whatever she was going to say. She talks to Zed and tells him that he is going to help save them all and give her the release of death. And she gives him a crystal. And that crystal is important because it's a transmitter. And somehow or another, through all the osmosis of knowledge that uh, that Zed gets, um, he figures out that the crystal is a transmitter, but also unlocks the secret that it is light light refraction and that's storing 
the information and it basically we also is... learned that all the eternals have crystals in their foreheads which we had not known up oh to yeah this that point, was or what, an hour and a half into for. the movie before we we learned that um and i've got this crystal i'm gonna look inside it see what i can see and he does and he sees like a jellyfish basically and then yeah it's revealed that that's the tabernacle there's also at one point friend talks it's either friend or arthur frayne talks about how the the vortex is a ship that it's a spaceship that they traveled to the stars yep. and that didn't help them at all that didn't give them anything. that didn't help them anywhere so they came back why you know they, they've only been uh, i did read that apparently it's only been 300 years since this has happened which is a shockingly short amount of time to go exploring the galaxy but you know you know i mean we don't know what kind of propulsion that ship has so maybe they can get around quick but like that was a thing where they sort of drop that and then like just forget about it. Like, oh, space, whatever. It came from space or it's a ship. Who cares? Whatever. Move on. But they eventually, Zed finds himself inside the tabernacle. Uh, you mean inside uh, the uh, end palace of Enter the Dragon? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was reminded of. <laughs> it was just a hall of mirrors with weird... That was that was where I got the big Richard Williams vibes of like I could just see this where like it's animated and sort of again Ralph Bakshi Richard Williams that seventies era animation stuff I could totally see that because it's just Sean Connery running around in a hall of mirrors uh, talking about the tabernacle and pointing a gun at everything but never once firing it um, and uh, he does that a lot in this movie. He points a lot of guns. Yeah, he does. He The only time he, I think he fires the gun is at the camera in the <laughs> yeah. opening scenes of the movie. For some reason. Um, uh, that, that gun, by the way, was a real gun. I didn't think it was because it was a revolver that you could pull back and cock like a... Yeah, it was like a semi-automatic a, revolver, which is weird. Yeah, uh, uh, it's uh, a guess, rare one. Uh, I remember I, I've, I've read about those before, um, and I had a friend of mine who told me about that. It was a revolver that the recoil would actually cycle the cylinder. And it was supposedly was super accurate because it would not move very much. Unlike a lot of repeating, you know, yeah. pistols at the time, I can't find which one it is, but uh, it was really weird to see him cock, pull back a revolver. I'd never seen that before. I, it was yeah. Really I had forgotten completely about it. So when he did that at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, that's a strange thing to do, but okay. Um, but then I'm like, ah, sci-fi movie, whatever. They got their own, their own thing going on. Um, their own stuff. But, he basically goes inside the tabernacle and figures out how to how to stop it. I think I don't know. I again in a in a movie that's very confusing he, and very weird. This is probably the weirdest part. And he amazingly does it by shooting an old version of himself dressed as he was at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, which I'm sure which, probably is meant to be some sort of statement, but. Uh, I, uh, again, because I was looking stuff up about this movie, that is him. Uh, oh, it's a, Wel a Webley Fosbury revolver, by the way. Oh, okay. If that means anything to anybody. Uh, but uh, apparently that was him uh, fully moving on from his past as an executioner brutal by, by destroying that part of himself. He has now fully uh, embraced who he has become as this super intelligent mortal savior of humanity i guess sure uh that works because then he ends up with uh consuela and um the very ending of the movie is 
Well, I mean, they basically go through their entire life because, but sitting in one spot the whole time. It's sitting in weird. one spot wearing one thing. Yeah, because <laughs> you see them and then you see her pregnant and then it's them with a child and then it's just them getting older as the child grows up. Uh, again, all wear, always wearing the exact same thing until it's uh, the child gets up to leave and it's like bye mom and dad looking like Commandy the uh, the, la- <laughs> the last boy from DC Comics. Yes. Um, I appreciate you knowing that reference. <laughs> and then he gets up to leave, she kind of reaches after him like, "No, don't go, my son." And uh Zed takes her hand and then they sit there and they just get older and older and then turn into skeletons. And that's the end of the movie. Yep. That's Uh if you th- if you if you enjoyed the final 20 minutes of 2001 a space odyssey then i'm sure that ending makes perfect sense to you um yeah if uh, like me you liked the visuals of the end of 2001 a space odyssey but the like meaning behind it was lost um this ending is also doesn't make any sense they definitely saved just, a lot of money on music by using beethoven's seventh symphony over and over <laughs> and over again it's just it's this uh, weird as Big and grandiose as parts of this movie were, and then for the ending to just be a two-shot of two people growing old, which I guess is supposed to be moving on from whatever the Eternals were. So, again, there's parts of this that I like. One thing that I do like is that we don't actually learn about what happened to the outside world after this. I kind of appreciate that for this 70s super pretentious uh, piece of... (laughs) art um for the audio listeners i did do air quotes but uh uh but it's also just this is right after a crazy bloodbath where zed's executioner buddies have rolled in and have just been killing everyone oh man they just mow them down and like the renegades happier than pigs and slop the whole time they're just like, we want to die, and they're just getting shot left and right, and the apathetics are there, and the apathetics suddenly have a zest for life and are, are having sex everywhere while getting killed. Yes, and they love that, too. Yeah, they're uh, all the, the, Leia, the Leia Bun singing girl that we mentioned earlier, she confronts Zed's like, well, now that you've destroyed the tabernacle, kill me. Yeah. And he says something like, all that I once was is gone, mm-hmm. and walks away. Only for her then to be shot by someone else. Yeah, yeah. One of his uh, one of his executioner buddies who executioner crew, and that pretty much ends it. But it's just it's weird. But I do have to say, like again, from a conceptual standpoint, I liked what they were trying to do, which is why I think that this is. I can understand for a lot of people this is unwatchable. Like this is just bad. Totally get that. And if if that's you have to you really have to be willing to just take it for like a weird piece of art and don't try to think about it too much and just sort of experience what's on the screen you might get some enjoyment out of it and you can kind of see those again those concepts are really cool there's also some good visuals to it I will say there's, the, uh, there's some cool stuff. Everything with the projection ring. Yeah. Kind of neat. That was really cool. Uh, some, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like mid seventies, like, you know, realistic, uh, cinematography framework that looks really neat. Yeah. Um, 
the the giant stone head floating and like those wide shots where it would be floating over where you I mean obviously it's superimposed but like they look nice there's a really great shot um when the eternals kind of flip and decide that they're going to try to kill Zed there's a shot where they're running up with like a battering ram and you see them running towards a door and once they reach the doors when you when you realize that the shot is actually of a mirror and they're running into that mirror and i thought that was really well done because it does yeah. look like they're coming straight at you until all of a sudden like the battering ram just comes in from the side of frame and hits the mirror and it's and it shatters and i was like that's you know, Borman, Borman had some good uh, visuals for stuff like that. <laughs> it's it's just funny. weird. I don't remember that moment at all because at that point I was just like, what is going on in this movie? Yeah. Oh, no, there's there's a lot of that. There's there's plenty of that. So I can I can see it. But if you get it, if you if you can put yourself through watching it again, uh, look for that shot, because I thought that was kind of cool. Some of the weird again inside the tabernacle uh, with all the mirrors is trippy, but it's like visually kind of interesting. Um, there's a good amount of that. Uh, so don't look at this as I'm going to sit down and watch a fun narrative movie because you're going to hate every second yeah. of it. If that's the case, I, 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 tr I tried to convince my, oh, my wife watched this with me and you know, we are big mystery science theater 3000 fans. So I was like, Oh, we're going to watch this terrible movie. One of the worst movies ever made Zardoz. She was like, okay, I like bad movies. And about an hour into it, she just looked at me and said, I, I'm mad at you. <laughs> Don't want to finish watching this. She hated it. Uh, weird. But, but it's all. Go ahead. It, it, it's also weird because, again, I think that concepts in this movie really work. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud about Zardoz. <laughs> Six to eight episode HBO Max remake, HBO remake of Zardoz. Mm -hmm with the right people behind it, I could honestly see working. Yeah. Is that weird? No, it's not because it's a high concept thing. And I come back to this a lot with a lot of high concept movies. Um, I did this with uh, Titan AE was a movie that I felt like was very high concept and deserved to be a longer series to explore some things. This would do that. I think that's why I kept thinking, you know, uh, a novel or a book series uh, a comic series or a series of graphic novels or uh, a limited run, um, you know, kind of streaming series would work for this because it's that high concept. There's some cool things there. You just, the execution of Zardoz itself was there's not enough time in an hour and 45 minutes to tell everything they wanted to tell. And they were doing just crates of drugs. And so it's weird. But also, and that led to certain scenes just going on for too long while other things were just brushed past. So I think if you give this the opportunity to breathe a little bit and you can explore some of these side bits the way that they deserve and give them context, I do think it could work. So I'm with you in that it makes no sense. It's never going to happen. Like, it's just not. There's no, nobody. It's never. No one's going to touch Zardoz again. Not at all. Uh, I, I do. But it'd be I, interesting. I do want to. I do want to finish uh, talking about this by by bringing up Roger Ebert's review of Please this do. movie. Roger Roger Ebert gave this movie two and a half stars. Uh, now I don't know if Ebert is a, a four star or five star person, but uh, the last moment of his review, uh, every once in a while, a movie like this comes along. A movie you've got to see the, so that you too 
can be in the dark about it. <laughs> in the movie's own terms, this much can be said for sure. It may not make you an apathetic, but it will certainly age you by two hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And it's true. Like, to we we aren't even doing a good job of explaining what this movie is when you watch it. The movie doesn't explain a good job of what it this doesn't. movie is when you watch it. But it is an experience that I think if you can be in the right mindset, I think there's there's something to take away from that experience. And maybe that's the um you know, maybe that's the uh, potential LSD talking. I don't know. I'm I'm just not sure. But like there's something there. There's there's something there that I think is intriguing, but it's wrapped up in this weird just doesn't make any sense and, and poorly executed package that it's a, it's a movie Im- that is entirely too long but also not long enough yes <laughs> yep absolutely like there's a there's you know it's a there's a fun interesting uh piece at the center but it's coated in just the the weirdest tasting stuff and you can't you, you got to get through that you got to like somehow endure that to enjoy and that's the that's kind of a tough bar to, to clear for some people. Like I, there's many, many people I know personally that I would never suggest watch Zardoz because I wouldn't want to tell them like, well, okay, once you can get past this, this, and this, you might enjoy something. Cause right. they're just people that I know don't want to do that. Don't have the time to do that. And it's not worth it to them. Um, but at the same time, like if you're kind of curious about it at all, I think it's worth, I wouldn't spend money on this. If it ever shows up on a streaming service again that you're subscribed to and you're bored one night and you want to watch it, I would do that. But I wouldn't uh, go out of your way seeking this out. But there's some interesting stuff there. And there's also some really fun kind of weird, goofy audio that I had to capture some of this because... Oh, gosh. Please tell me you have some of the the weird eternal language that only shows up in one scene. Um, Are you talking about when he's talking backwards? It's it. Is it backwards? It seems I don't like know it was, what it was. D- 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 it I, made no but, sense to me at it, all, and it happens one time, and then it's never referenced never, again. In in the I, I in the subtitles because I had to turn the subtitles on. It just says speaking foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. So okay, here's friend. Um, this one's called boredom. Anything to relieve the boredom. Oh, it was the way he said that. Boredom. 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 This This guy has been alive for way too long. This movie is, is kind of campy in ways that like it, it leans into in some ways and leans away from in other ways. Like it doesn't quite know Mm -hmm. what to do with, um, another friend line. I got a few of his cause there was just something with his delivery. He, he, he kind of embraced the campy aspects of his character. I think he's also the character that speaks more than anybody else in the movie. Also true. Uh, we didn't mention this. Uh, uh, Zed's first line does not happen until 15 minutes into the film. Yeah. Yeah, Connery doesn't talk a whole lot at all in the movie, and he doesn't say anything for the first ton of it. Uh, but this is another friend. Death comes closer for us all. Oh, yeah, death comes closer. And this is when they're learning or they're figuring out that, that Zed can do something and all the renegades are... Because you can hear them partying in the background, like they're happy about this. Woo! Um, let's see. This one is just called erection. This ought to be fun. Is capable of spontaneous and reflexive erection. 
again, wasn't something that when I started this movie, I thought I was going to hear um, at nope. all. In a very, and it's in a just just very clinical scene where she's explaining to the Eternals how a Wang Doodle works with drawings. Yes, uh, that, drawings. that is one line that they did. That is one line that they did not cross. Is they did not uh, they did not have any actual pictures of anything. Nope, just drawings. Lots of boobs, but no Wangs. Uh, innocent, I believe, is what this one's called. I am innocent of psychic violence. It was the that just monotone kind of serial killer delivery. I am innocent yeah. of psychic violence. Well, he, the, well, he only got so five totally, years. So, yeah. uh, uh, also, also have to mention the Eternals. A lot of the Eternals wear this sort of like almost Egyptian head scarf head thing. Yeah, scarf thing. I didn't get that, but I'm sure. Um, I mean, when, when you when you I mean that's the style, you know. Sure. After 300 years. Go forth and kill. I mean, you know, when when my God speaks to me from a giant floating stone head and tells me that, sure, it makes sense. And then vomits guns all over the place. Just all over. And and ammo, not in boxes. Loose ammo. just loose ammo. (laughs) Um... So this that was after he had said the gun is good because the gun is good but the penis is evil no penis lots yes gun um so yeah that whole opening scene is just bizarre it's just and wild. does not prepare you for the movie in any no, way no cuz you th- cuz you think that's going to like and, and it's this Again, it's that to Zed waking up in the head with all the people in plastic bags. Yeah. What? What? What is that? I don't know. What is that? I don't know. And then, and what? then, you're, every you're every breaking turn. Breaking my brain. Bring bring this back up because I didn't even think about it in the moment because it was so much after that that just that never returned. What? What? Yeah. Is th- are those experiments? Are those people that are being bred by? <laughs> Arthur Frayne? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like every turn in this movie was a left. And it was just strange. Um okay, so now I have a thing where if somebody laughs, I usually capture it because I just love those like especially when it's the you can tell it's that fake put on laugh and this was friend. <laughs> and I don't know why, I just like that one. That one for some reason just <laughs> He kind of gave up halfway through it too. As he's walking, yeah. he's like, "Yeah, whatever." I'm done. Um, I don't remember this one. You have penetrated me. No, oh, well, <clears throat> I. Uh, well, tabernacle, not on a first date. My. Um, oh. That was the the dialogue for the first five minutes of the movie. Was just ho- hooping. Whooping and praise be to Zardoz. With those with those mankinis and those Zardoz double sided masks, and yeah. some of the ma- most of the masks were white, but some of them were red. I will so say, like they were, those masks were pretty incredible. They were they were one super dope, and two all of the ones that were red looked like they had been painted red with blood. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or at least with something red that you would be able to find in uh, in some sort of apocalypse. Yeah. So I just presume blood, but uh, that's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, this, I believe, is another from the Zardoz head. The penis shoots seeds. Yeah, I don't. It's, I mean. No wonder he wanted them to get into farming. <laughs> but the penis is evil. And now he wants seeds. What's going? I'm, I'm getting mixed messages, Zardoz, is what I'm saying. Um, I did like... So that whole opening with the floating head is so ridiculous, and you could pick all sorts of moments from that, but this the ending of it was... Is God in show business too? And then it ends. And I was like, it's an odd one it's to It's so put funny in that you said the end with the floating head, because Zardoz is a floating head. Yeah. I was a little confused for a second, but uh, now again, is... Like, this me putting this together. Of course, he's a floating head because he right. is Zardoz, and Zardoz is a floating head. Mm-hmm. Oh, like <laughs> man, if I was if I was high right now, I'd be like, oh, dude, I know, figured it out. Um, this was May when she makes the realization of what Zed is. You must know that you're mentally and physically vastly superior to me or anyone else here. And at that point, if I'm Zed, it's like, well, there's an ego stroke if ever I've heard one. Like, all right. Yeah. He doesn't have psychic powers, though. So No. <laughs> no, and he can't really figure out how things work, but he's apparently vastly superior because yeah, he is. I get, <laughs> and, and once again, that, that line comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it's just like suddenly, suddenly he is that. We've had no indication of he's, it whatsoever, but then she figures that out by looking at I guess uh, it's something in his eyes. I'm not really even sure how she figured that out. And finally, one last one. And it was just the, the use of this term. I'd never heard nor expected to hear. We will touch teach you and you will give us your seed. Touch teach. Well, th- cause they've been touching. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, they, they're going to learn through osmosis. Brains. Yeah, they do say that. They do talk about osmosis, don't they? Golly. And that, that was like, liter- so I took that as a literal. They were just going to like put their hands on Zed and transfer data to him. Like he's a wireless <laughs> charger. And then and then he would give them his seed. Uh, it's, a, it's a bizarre movie, people, is what we're trying to, it's yeah. basically what we're driving at. It's a very bizarre and, movie. And, and I can't believe I'm walking away with things that I like about it. That's the thing that really gets me. It's like, oh, I enjoy this for some reason. Yeah. Like, but I, I mostly I mostly didn't enjoy it. Most of the time me watching this movie was, really? So <laughs> really? if it hadn't been for a show like this, I would have really been upset watching this movie. Um, yes. But I will say that I... I'm open to watching it again and especially with the right group of friends to just like this could be the kind of movie that you have a group of friends over and you have a few drinks and you just watch like we're gonna just watch a crap movie like some crazy zany movie throw this on and people just have fun with it and like this is the type this is the type of two hour movie that takes four and a half hours to watch yes because every five seconds you're gonna pause it and talk about something and point out something and have some sort of weird conversation about it and but it's also like a movie I feel like this wouldn't not only wouldn't it get made today but movies like this don't really happen anymore these really 
you okay i shouldn't say they don't but they're not as prominent anymore these really really high concept way out there type of of things i i think it's it's less that they don't happen but it's more that in 1976 uh, is that when this movie came out 74 74 sorry in 1974 not everybody could make a movie true today in 2023 you and a group of people could make this with a smartphone and a computer and in a weekend and yeah. put it out somewhere. And so it, you don't have a lot of big budget. Well, not that this had a huge budget, but you don't get a lot of theatrically released movies like this anymore. The movies that you do get released that are of this kind of ilk are typically much better done. Because mm-hmm. there are, because the studio system is so much bigger, the editorial is so much bigger. It, it takes it takes so much for a movie to get made today, but also it is so easy to make a movie today. Yeah, um, you know, and the closest I could think of to something like this, and it's it's a much better, I think, produced film, but uh, because it, it it takes a certain kind of filmmaker to get something at this scale that's this out there. And so like John Borman at the time could pull that off, right? Cause he'd just come off of deliverance and he'd done, he had that track record and it's similar to like, say Christopher Nolan doing tenant, which is a weird out there, high concept movie. Not, it's not a one-to-one comparison and, and it's not a one-to-one comparison, but like Christopher Nolan has the pull with studios to get, to be able to do something that's more along that line. Um, but even there, like he executed, uh, whether you like the movie or not, he executed his vision, I think better than what Borman did. But I still think with a director like Christopher Nolan in this age, it might say written and directed by Christopher Nolan, but what it means is written and directed by Christopher Nolan and a bunch of other people. Oh, sure. <laughs> that, you know, that were editing and, and, you know, adding scenes and changing scenes and B unit and all sorts of stuff that yeah. you didn't necessarily have in 74 for a film like this. This is true. So I do think it's, it's an interesting time capsule for filmmaking. It's an interesting concept that I would love. Honestly, uh, a novel, of this, like, and not the novelization, but like taking the themes and the ideas of this and really writing it out in a, in a good long form, either one long novel or a, a series of a few books would be really interesting. Cause I think that again, I'm with you. The concept of this world intrigues me. It's just Zardoz as a execution of that concept was lacking. Uh, I yeah. think is a, is a kind way to put it. I think too, uh, it sort of wastes Sean Connery in some ways. A person with that kind of magnetism and that sort of star, uh, star power and and presence on screen, and he really, he could have been anybody in this. He needed to be shirtless, wearing a speedo, to even be noticed in this movie, which is an interesting, yeah, an interesting comparison. Yeah, when you're talking about Sean Connery, who you know, just everything that he did, I mean how many people can outshine somebody like Harrison Ford, but Sean Connery can pull that off in last crusade or, uh, you know what he did in all sorts of movies through the eighties and nineties. And for him to just sort of melt into the background, which credit to him for not 
kind of not taking over. But at the same time, because it, I mean, it, it sort was, of he was the he was the star of the movie though he really needed to take over. Well, yes, but what I, I guess what I mean by that is like he he played the character that he was given as opposed to being Sean Connery as the character, if that makes sense. And so it's a credit to him in that respect, but at the same time, this it just sort of like you could insert almost anyone in that, uh, and it wouldn't have made a single difference to this movie. So it's it's yeah, it's, it's a weird is... it's a weird interesting movie, but it's a great choice for like it's such a good choice to to talk about and to kind of for a milestone episode like this for me the two hundredth episode to finally say I've seen Zardoz now. <laughs> I know. I, I also could you imagine Burt Reynolds in this role? Boy, that would have been How Now there's been one where you would have seen Burt <laughs> Reynolds. Like no and that's that's sort of what I mean by like normally with Sean Connery, regardless of how good he is in something, you still see Sean Connery, right? Like you see Sean Connery in uh Indiana Jones or in um uh what was the um any of them, like any movie, basically. Uh, but this the, one, the one where they go to Alcatraz. Uh, yeah, um, The Rock. Uh, you know, but it's always it's Sean Connery. This would have definitely one hundred percent been like that's Burt Reynolds as Zed. You know, would have been interesting to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> another another alternate universe I would like to visit just to see that version of this movie. <laughs> yes. Oh boy, if this movie isn't weird enough as it is, let's throw Burt Reynolds in there. <laughs> with a bunch of and uh you had all um most of the actors were from uh like Ireland and the UK. Uh the extras were all Irish. Um and they were like because Irish they, because they they didn't they, ship anybody in. They they had to to have them all there. No, and according to Borman they were some of the best extras he ever worked with. <laughs> so uh, also according to also according to Borman it was complicated because not all of them wanted to be topless all the time. But uh yeah. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this movie uh, definitely liked having uh, topless people. Lots of naked women. It's a complicated, complicated past, this movie. Yeah. Uh, But, hey, I've seen it now. You've seen it now. We can say that. We can get the t-shirts that say, I've seen Zardoz, so you don't have to. (laughs) I might make that a t-shirt. Available on tvstravis.com. Yes, the newly redesigned tvstravis.com. Um no, this was this was a ton of fun, Drew. I love having you on because it's always a great conversation. Um, you're you're one of my favorite guests to bring on because you always bring something interesting. And I love now your show, your main show that you do. Um, the more you nerd is I've been listening. I'm a, I'm a little bit behind, but I've really been enjoying Candy Christmas. Yes, you guys were having a, fun a, with that. It was a super fun time. We my my wife and I watched uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I saw that for the first time at Thanksgiving, and she actually said, "Why don't you just cover John Candy movies for Christmas?" And she actually wanted to call it Christmas Candy, and then I messed up. Uh, but she doesn't know that I messed up because uh, she doesn't listen to my show. Hey. So uh, nobody tell her. <laughs> I won't. The secret is safe with me. Um, but to let people know where that show is and kind of what you guys do there. Yeah, so we we are the more you nerd, uh, where we are a decade plus now. I think we're eleven years plus, uh, uh, and and doing stuff uh, based on just kind of what we want to cover. And sometimes it's really topical. Like right now, in in, in this January of twenty twenty three, we are talking the entire month about Japanese superhero Ultraman. 
uh, which has been really fun and interesting. And weirdly, there's a movie coming to theaters this week. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll see it. I don't know yet. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's been a ton of fun. But we cover all sorts of stuff. We've done uh, – Travis, you've been on our show two or three times now. I can't remember yeah, how a many. Times. Um, I know we talked about Tron uh, Mike, once. Uh, my my co-host Miles has has been on this show, uh, yep. and and, uh, and hopefully he'll be back on soon here too. But um, yeah, he will. But yeah, we just got, we just kind of cover cover you know stuff that that we want to talk about, and uh, you know coming up this year we might talk about a syndicated TV show and do a deep dive. We'll cover uh, some anime in a couple of months, and uh, just kind of what whatever we decide to 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 do that seems like a a slightly more skewed take on on nerd stuff that's the more you nerd.com and yes i am wearing a gundam t-shirt somebody's called nice it out. <laughs> I, I do like uh, what one of the things i love about the show is that you and miles have you pick stuff that you really want to talk about and you dive into it and it's not the same thing every time it's a tv series here books it's comics it's movies and then in inside of that can be sci-fi or comedy i mean taking a month to talk about John Candy and talk about, um, you know, Uncle Buck uh, or um, SCTV. Like, you started talking about SCTV, and I was like, oh, I loved SCTV growing up. So SCTV, and I mentioned this, I'm from the state of South Carolina in uh, (laughs) the United States of America, and growing up, my dad would always talk about SCTV, and in South Carolina, there is SCETV, which is like the public broadcasting system. Ah. And I was confused by why there was so much comedy on SCTV <laughs> for so long. Uh, I figured it out eventually, but <laughs> yeah, but that's that's that, awesome. that show I went back and watched so much more of that that we didn't talk about on air because that cast was so phenomenal. Oh man, and, uh, it really, really was. And and just like the way you guys will dive into, you'll do like monster movies for a month, and you'll do anime for a little while, and then talk about video games. I it. Your when you and Miles started talking about, um, I think it was actually Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link, uh, on it's probably a year ago now. Um, oh yeah, it's been a while. It got me to uh, start that game back up on my Switch and play Zelda Two. I'm like, no, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna finally beat it, and I did. It took nice! forever. It took I, forever, I and I used all sorts of guides to do it. I am not, a, I am not afraid to say that, but I beat that damn game. It took me until I was forty. I played, I played a little bit more of that game, but when I played it, I used the because the Switch Online has like special hacked versions of the game, and there's mm. a version of Zelda Two that has like max health and max magic. Oh yeah, yeah. And I definitely played with that. I one hundred percent just wore out the rewind feature in that game. Like oh, oh, rewind that, that a little I, bit, and there we go again. Like I yeah, had to. De- definitely, definitely, uh, such a, a a bonus of playing on something new because man, that game is complicated yep. feelings from my fa- my favorite <laughs> video game franchise. Yes, right, same Final Fantasy in there too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the more you nerd, uh, definitely check that out. Uh, Miles is going to be back. Uh, we're actually working on getting him back here soon. So. Um, but yep, uh, the more you nerd with Drew and Miles, you guys are great, and I love that show. Definitely check it out if you like this and you like nerdy stuff at all. You'll love the more you nerd. So, uh, and I I want to thank you for having me on for two hundred. I feel super honored to be here for it, man. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and I'm I, you know I'm not sugarcoating at all. You're one of my favorite guests to have on because we always we always have such a good conversation, and you 
are great at bringing things that I didn't think of while I'm watching it, but then make perfect sense once we start talking. So it's always a good conversation. Um, so definitely. And plus picking Zardoz, I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's such a bonkers <laughs> movie to do for number 200. So um, 200 episodes of this show. I can't believe I got to that point. Uh, I wouldn't have thought starting off almost four years ago that I would have made it four years, let alone done 200 episodes in that time. But I did. So, uh, And I want to thank everybody who has joined me on this ride and been listening. Uh, and here's to another as many as I can do. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing them until I lose interest. But uh, Until you become apathetic. Yes. No, never. <laughs> never. Never will. Um, now, I did mention TVstravis.com. Uh, it has been newly redesigned, so go check that out. That's very, uh, very fun. Um, it's a whole new thing. It looks a lot better. You can see this show, other shows that I work on. Um, there's a way to find merchandise, which I am going to start working on a design for I've Seen Zardoz, so you don't have to. That's going to be a shirt. <laughs> Um, and you can also go to, uh, patreon.com, just, just the zoomed in mankini. It's just, yes. I've seen Zardoz mankini, so you don't have to. That's perfect. Love I'm it. sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. That's great. <laughs> um, you can also, uh, support the show by just listening, telling people about it who maybe haven't, uh, seen it or heard it before. Um, or you can go to patreon.com uh, slash W Y H S. And for as little as $1 an episode. Uh, support financially if you want to. Um, and uh, shows come out. I, I record live Sunday nights at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. So you can watch there. Uh, there's usually a video on demand for a couple of weeks after that. I also put stuff up on my YouTube page. I'm TV's Travis everywhere. So you can find me um, anywhere if you want to talk about episodes, you want to give me any feedback, TV's Travis at gmail.com or Twitter at TV's Travis works too. Um, and, uh, I love hearing from everybody and I just want to say thank you to everybody for being, for joining me for 200 episodes. Um, and here's to another 200 plus, let's just keep doing it because it's so much fun, but thank you, Drew, for being here for number 200 and finally getting me to watch this damn movie. <laughs> thank you. I loved it. Well, I didn't love it, but I loved this. <laughs> there you go. See, and that's what makes it worth it. Like sitting through a movie like that is a chore but then getting to have a good conversation with a good friend afterwards totally worth it so thank you absolutely and uh next week i've got a, a really off the wall movie um uh, oh shoot hang on it is no escape no that's coming up in a couple of weeks next week i'm watching creature from the black lagoon Ooh, a classic yeah we're going back 1954 uh, and my guest will be the host of uh, a podcast that I was on a few uh, months back called Haven't Seen It. Um, no, that's a different show. This one was, uh, it was reflecting on old cartoons. And I watched the Karate Kid cartoon from the 80s. Did you know that existed? Because it existed. Uh so, uh, what uh, Miles and I have done in the last year is we did a whole, uh, we call them uh, set adaptations, where we covered <laughs> uh, we covered the Karate Kid cartoon, we covered the RoboCop cartoon, uh, we covered, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember some of the oh, other the ones. Oh, Ro- I forgot about the RoboCop cartoon. We did, we did a whole bunch of, of, uh, of 
cartoon adaptations of TV shows. <laughs> and it's it's KG from the pop-up film cast, a.k.a. That was great, wasn't it? Um, and we talked about uh, The Karate Kid, uh, which was wild. Uh, I can't believe that uh, that, yeah, was... that... <laughs> I've seen some cartoon that, that... adaptations, but that that definitely fits sadaptation. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it... If you would imagine... Daniel-san and Mr. Miyagi traveling the planet with another random girl <laughs> that they never explain, chasing a floating uh, Idol. amulet. <laughs> yeah. It's just weird. But uh, yeah, that's what we're going to... So he is, KG's going to come on. We're going to talk about Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, and nice. um, I got a couple other fun ones down the pipeline. Uh, that's going to be great. I found somebody who's never seen Titanic before. We're going to watch Titanic. I've never seen Titanic. <laughs> I'll give you a pass on that. Uh, as well as say, the Ray Liotta uh, classic, uh, no, no Escape, is also coming up uh, soon. That When we covered uh, the Karate Kid cartoon, you were on our show for that because we also covered Highlander, the animated series. That's right. Audie <laughs> and I came on for Highlander because that was a thing. That is crazy. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Creature from the Black Lagoon next week. So come back, come on back for that. Um, Drew, thank you so much for being here. This has been thank you so for much having fun. me, man. I really appreciate this. I love Absolutely. doing this. Absolutely, we'll have you back again sometime soon. And until then, remember to enjoy your movies. And this has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Hey, let's be excellent to each other. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>